0: Thanks so much, Halhard, I really appreciate that introduction. You might not be paid to be here, but I am. Um, <laughs> It never seems to amaze me just nine years in full time ministry how the Holy Spirit just speaks through people and it's amazing that even me and alkhhard we didn't we didn't speak to one another you know apart from he knows what my sermon title is and and how the Holy Spirit just revealed something um just of tonight 's sermon um, and even it happened this morning when when Mneti came here. Uh, obviously, in our, in our in our meetings in the morning, we speak through what is the points that we want to get to, or what what is what is the things that we are trusting God for. And the Holy Spirit always just amazes me by the way that He speaks to us in unity. He's never in disunity. There's never a confusion. It's amazing just to see that. And I'll probably be in ministry fifty years and still be amazed by just what the Holy Spirit does in and through the lives of His people. But with regards to tonight, we are finishing with our sermon series, Encounters with God. And we are concluding with a story of Saul. I'm going to say Saul slash Paul, because uh, what I'm going to speak, to speak about now is when he was still Saul, before God changed his name. And uh, that, that was after his miraculous encounter with God on the road to Damascus. But before we jump in, I want you to understand a few facts about Saul in his life. See, Saul was born and raised in Tarsus, and, which is known as modern-day Turkey, if you're wondering. But Saul's family valued education, and therefore Saul, at the age of only 14 years old, studied at the University of Tarsus under one of the best Pharisee teachers called Hamalil, which was also just happens to be a family friend of his. Now, I don't know about you, but thinking of going to university when you were supposed to go to grade 8 don't know if I wanted to do that necessarily. I never did my homework, I never did my assignments, so I don't think I would have done very well in university at the age of 14. I only had a little bit of more of a responsibility sense later in my life, but, but that's a bit early for me personally. But the University of Tarsus was also known for being liberal in their theology, and therefore Paul embraced this liberalism. I struggled so much this morning to say that word. Um but liber there we go. Yeah, I'll so. say. Yeah, liberal. Christian Leber is at Moyclef. Um Liberalism, Liberal. Liberalism, there we go. Paul later also served in the Sanhedrin where only 10 students were chosen yearly to enforce Judaic law. And isn't it amazing that in, in Paul's life, he wasn't liberal just because he wanted to be. It was something that was taught to him in the University of Tarsus. And that's why even in the way that he lived his life, he went all in at all times. He was never at a space where he went in half measure. And that's why I want to start a little bit upside down tonight by mentioning Paul's afflictions and persecutions as an apostle of Christ after the Damascus Road encounter, and then you'll understand why I do this. But Saul was persecuted quite heavily, more than any of the other disciples, and more frequently than the other disciples. You see, he wasn't a disciple, obviously. He only had this encounter with God in the Damascus Road. But He went so far as to listing the afflictions or the, let's say, persecutions he went through in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 24 to 27. You can read them with me. But he says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. It's interesting that he says that like that, but if you understand Jewish law, is they couldn't go past 40 lashes there, so they stopped at 39 because it was custom to do so. That's why he says um, 40 lashes less one. And then he continues, he says three times. Now, I don't know about you, but even that first part would have been enough for me to probably quit ministry if that was the case. But he, went, he goes along and he says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. I don't know about you, but I consider it suffering when I haven't ate or drank something in four hours. Or when I'm sitting in traffic once every two months. Or when load shedding hits. That's my suffering. And then you see the life of Paul and what he went through and how faithful he was with, with the word that God gave him and ran with it. And then I asked myself this question, what comfort am I in in my own life? What are the things that I held dear in my own life that makes me miss what God has called me for? And that takes me to my first point. Sometimes we are very sincere but sincerely wrong. You see Acts 9 verse 1 to 8 speaks about how this all started for Saul. And he says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, if it speaks about the way, it speaks speaks about the first um, Christians. And he says, Men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. It doesn't even say he was chosen to go. It says, It says, He went to the high priest and asked him for the letters at the synagogues to go to Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He was so faithful. He believed so much. He was so sincere in his beliefs that he wanted to go himself. He says, I'll go. Send me. I will do it. And then he goes further and says, Isn't it amazing that Jesus speaks to him and he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And he doesn't even go on to explain who he was. He just says, this is what you are to do. The authority, why? Because they knew who Jesus was. This was not even a year and a half later when Jesus hung on a cross. So they knew, the word spread all around the city. So they knew exactly, and even Paul knew exactly who Jesus was it says, but rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, blind for three days. Now, God gave me a little bit of revelation this morning as I was praying into the scripture. And, uh. It sounds a bit familiar, and you'll hear the familiarity behind it. It says, Paul went on his way to persecute the way. Okay, Christians called the way. And on the road to Damascus, he had an encounter with the truth. And Paul's life after that resembled one of sacrifice and submission to God. Let's talk about an encounter with Jesus. Where Jesus, remember the words in John 14 verse 6, where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Paul had the full experience on the, on the road to, to Damascus. The revelation for him was everything. And isn't it amazing that even in that scripture, Jesus, never been, Jesus has never been confused about who he is. He knew. There was no reason for him to explain who he is. He just says, this is what you are to do. Go. See, Paul was super sincere but sincerely wrong. And I think about my own life and I think about the encounters that I had as a young boy. I grew up and my father, just before I was born, he moved out of the Three Sisters Church and into a charismatic church which started here in in, in Pretoria. And uh, he was quite persecuted by his family himself, but I had this one uncle that was very persistent in the way he spoke to me when he saw me as a kid and knowing that I'm not in a, in a three-sister's church at the time, he always asked me this, so what church are you in? Are you in the three-sister's church? Now obviously as a kid, I didn't didn't even know what that means. And I remember answering him, and I said to him, now I'm in Jesus' church. (laughs) Because I heard the words in scripture that Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it.' I don't know in what church you are in. Stop asking me stupid questions. Here's the reality. I ended up leading him to the Lord at my aunt's funeral, that uncle. And I thought about just maybe he was very sincere in the way he asked me the questions. Maybe he was sincere in the, in the, in the thoughts that he had about me. But I had this just revelation from myself that he was so focused on what church I was in that he missed the salvation part or the relationship with God part. He wasn't worried that I have a relationship with God. He wasn't worried about my salvation. He was worried about the church I was in. Sincere, but sincerely wrong. Let's look at the world. I have a story that I want to tell you guys. And one of the, there was a missionary team that went to uh, China. And, and while they were there, they went through all of the, the Buddhist temples and, and just missioning. You'll know, the, you'll know the word mission. I obviously don't have to explain it to you. But as they were there, they, were, they entered into one of these Buddhist temples, and there were, there were 300 kids just sitting around, and this one six-year-old girl ran up to to, to, one of the, to one of the pastors, and she asked him a question, and the question was simple. The question was, Sir, who do you serve? And before he could even answer, she went on to show him a little Buddha idol. Okay, so just for the sake of the argument, let's just say this is a bit idle, Okay, And she said to him, sir, this is what I believe in. I can see him, I can feel him, and he's always with me. And in that moment, he was like, oh, wow, Holy Spirit, you need to bail me out on this one. I don't know what to tell the six-year-old that the God I serve, you can't even see What do I tell her? You can't see him, feel him. He's maybe always with you, but how do I explain that? Because she's she's connecting it to something she can feel tangibly. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit said to her, I said to him, just give her a hug. Give her a hug and tell her that this is the experience and the love I experience every single day of my life. And on that day, 300 kids gave their hearts to Christ in a Buddhist temple, no less. Here's the beauty of that story. See, the kid running up was so sincere, so sincere in her beliefs, but she was sincerely wrong. And in that moment, she had a revelation with love. In that moment, she had a revelation about what relationship is like and what it is to be embraced by the Father. And that for her was enough to say that I want to believe in that God. Not an idol that does nothing for me, that I need to worship, but does nothing for me. It's not rules, it's not regulations, it's a relationship with the Father. So many of us sitting in the world today are so sincere. If you look at Muslims, if you look at Jews, so sincere, but sincerely wrong. And we have the truth that we want to share with them. And if we look at just Paul's life and obedience through faith, taking, like, taking me to my second point. His obedience through faith. It says, you can read with me Acts 9, verse 10 to 18. It says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. Something like scales fall from his eyes and he regained sight. Then he rose and was baptized. See, if you look at the scripture, it wasn't just Paul that had an encounter with God. It was Ananias as well. Remember, Paul's name would have ran quite quite through like all the cities around. Everyone would have known who Paul was because he was persecuting Christians. Even some of the disciples fled to other areas when they knew Paul was on his way see, the reality was even Ananias had to have obedience through faith. Not knowing what the outcome will be. Not knowing how the picture will look like at the end. But he had an encounter with God and he said, Lord, I will be obedient even if I don't know the outcome. And there we see, just Paul, that God has chosen him as a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So the reality is that Paul was a chosen instrument. No matter what his his history was, no matter the circumstances or situations that he faced prior, he was a chosen instrument in the hands of the Father. And tonight, for all of us sitting here tonight, we are chosen instruments to go share the truth to a lost and dying world. We cannot sit here with the truth and keep it ourselves. And it says, And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained sight. Then he rose and was baptized. This is amazing that Paul immediately responded with obedience and saying, I want to be baptized and then I want to go and share the gospel. I want to share the truth that I've heard. You see, the reality is the response of the redeemed should always be obedience. Our response can never be anything less than obedience. The words coming out of our mouth should be your will be done not mine Lord I want to submit my life to you and I don't want to miss a moment where you are sending me to lost people I don't want to miss an opportunity to share the gospel I want to be open Lord so sensitive to your word even if I don't understand everything I will obey Jesus with everything inside of me I want to tell you another story in another mission trip in the middle of Botswana there was a uh, a guy at my previous church who called him Kuis. And um, he, he went to, as he went to Botswana, he had quite a lot of, um, let's say, missions that he, that he, that he, that he held in, in Botswana. And as they were driving on the back routes of Botswana, he, obviously there's, there's certain areas in Botswana that you will drive and drive and drive and there will be nothing. It's just nothing all around you. It's just the bush. And at the side of the road, as he was driving with his bus, there was a black lady sitting on the side of the road. And obviously, in the middle of nowhere, there's no houses, you know, near. So he was like, okay, let's just stop and ask this lady, is everything okay? You know, does, does she need anything? Can we minister to her? And as he was getting out of the, out of the bus, the lady, the first question the, the lady asked him, because uh, Mkurs um, could speak a bit of uh, Setswana, obviously the language that they speak in, in Botswana. And the first question that she asked him is, what is God's name? right from the bat not a high not a. what is god's name and he said he answered jesus and she was like okay great. picked up her things and she walked and he's like whoa whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. Please, please 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 you need to you need to explain something to me why did you just ask me the question what is god's name and then you are satisfied with my one-liner answer jesus what, what what happened in your life? And she she continued to tell them a the story that as a young girl, the, at, at the time that she was sitting next to the road, she was already 80 years old. But when she was a young girl at six years old, she had the responsibility of the family to go out in the field and look for deer or animals that they can hunt so that they can eat the next meal. So her father would send her out and say, please tell me where the, where the animals are at so that we can go ha- hunt. So she was basically just the, the scouting uh, person. She went out and looked for them and then go, went back and gave some feedback and then they would go hunt. And she says, as a six-year-old kid, she would go out in the field and she started speaking. To someone, And she was like, okay, Lord, just, you know, or not Lord or whatever she called God at the time. But she was like, I, I, need, to, I need to make this process a little bit easier. I want to I wanna get the animals easier. I want to I wanna be able to provide for my family in a way that I can give feedback. And then as she was speaking to God, God was starting to speak back. And telling her, and it took, at first it took four hours, and then it took two hours, and then it take, took like 20 minutes. And she got so good at it where God is leading her to the animals so that they can be hunted and they, so they can have their next meal. Isn't it amazing that she's had this relationship with God her entire life, she, and she didn't know His name. She didn't have a Bible, but she had a relationship with God. A living relationship with God. And in a dream, God told her in a vision that I'm, I'm going to send a bus. There's going to be a guy that's coming with a bus. Now you have to understand, which she's saying, she's never seen a white person before in her entire life. So in a vision, she's hearing the words that there's going to be a white, bald guy coming, getting out of a bus. He will speak to you. You can ask him, what is my name? And he will tell you. So she made the journey to the road to sit there the entire day until the bus came. And for Mkwes, this was the encounter that he will never forget in his entire life. The beauty that so many times I think about Europe and I think about Asia and I think about the ones that we, we live in an age where there's so much evidence for the existence of God And yet, here's a person in the middle of nowhere, believing in God, having a relationship with God, and not even knowing His name. And we have everything to our disposal. We have church. We have the Bible. And yet, we struggle to believe sometimes. Yet, we struggle to be obedient in faith. Yes, this lady basically being an example to all of us having a living relationship with God. Every day she spoke to him. Every day she had an encounter with him. Every day he was real to her more than probably he is to us. In the middle of nowhere. And we ask the question sometimes, but what about the people that never heard the gospel? What about the people that never would have the opportunity? God will know the answer. God will be the one that reveals himself, but it does not take the responsibility from us to be obedient in faith. And saying, Lord, please send me. Send me. If I need to be the one taking the good news of the gospel, Lord, send me. I don't want to miss it. My next point is the truth and nothing but the truth. We read in Acts 9, verse 90 to 22, continuing with the same scripture, and it says, And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. Isn't it amazing it says the words immediately? There was not a gap where he waited. Yeah, but I need more Bible knowledge. Yeah, but I, I haven't been to church enough. I, don't, I haven't heard the gospel enough to share it. I, I, haven't, I don't have the experience. Maybe send Moritz because he's done it before. No, no. It says immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the son of God. A guy that literally studied his entire life, grew up studying in university under one of the best Pharisee teachers immediately responded and said, Jesus is the son of God because an encounter with God was enough for him to say, I want to believe in this father. I want to believe in this God. And it says, And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is he not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. See, Paul was seeking the truth and nothing but the truth. And his afflictions and persecutions didn't take him away from Jesus, but rather it took him closer and closer. His unwavering commitment to serving Jesus was incredibly inspiring. So let me remind you once again what he went through. That first scripture. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. See, here's the reality. Paul never wavered from his commitment to serve God. I don't know if you know how stoning worked in that time, but they would throw you into a pit. And then in the pit, they would throw rocks at you, and the last rock would be the biggest one they could find, and they would push it into the hole so that they would make sure that the person they were stoning was dead. And they thought he was dead. See, Paul's persecutions and afflictions was a thing that he called, literally in one of the scriptures, he called it minor afflictions. (laughs) Man, a minor affliction is low-shedding for me. (laughs) He says that was minor afflictions. Isn't the beauty of what Paul's life just signified, writing 13 of the books in the New Testament? Living a life where he's sacrificial, he didn't care about his own comfort, he didn't care about the things. Literally after he's been stoned, he stood up and went to the next city and preached the gospel again. As if he didn't learn a lesson. (laughs) Isn't it amazing? And then I ask myself about the comfort that I live in in my own life. Hmm. Hear this quote. By John Ruskin. It says, God will put up with a great many things in the human heart. But there's one thing that he will not put up with in it. And that's the second place. He who offers God a second place offers him no place at all. I'm going to repeat the scripture. The scripture. The quote. It says, God will put up with a great many things in the human heart. But there's one thing that he will not put up within it. And that's a second place. He who offers God a second place offers him no place at all. And maybe tonight some of you are sitting here and you're realizing that there is areas in your life, there is departments in your life that you've maybe put God in a second place. That he's maybe taken up a second place in your life maybe it is your work keeping you busy maybe it's your studies maybe it's your relationships I don't know what it is but whatever is putting God in the second place I want to ask that we bow our heads to not look around maybe you are still struggling with certain religious worldviews. you don't understand everything yet Or maybe a religious mindset in certain areas and need Jesus to reveal himself to you. Or you're just praying for a fresh revelation tonight. That God reveal himself to you once again. And maybe there is certain areas in your life where you were sincere, but sincerely wrong. And you may be you may be asking God like David frequently did say Lord come and search my heart for any iniquities if there's something that is not bringing you praise or honor I want to bow down before you Lord and surrender them before your feet tonight if any of those things apply to you tonight won't you just put up your hand and take the boldness and say Lord I've put you in a second place I don't, I don't want to do this any longer I see their hands I see them. I see their hands. Why don't you just pray this in your heart with me. Say, Lord, I pray that if there's anything that took center stage in my life and I've put you in a second place, Lord, I surrender them to you this morning or this evening Lord, I pray that you would become the all in all in my life. I pray that even in moments where I've not understood everything yet, maybe there's things I still struggle with, Lord, but I want to be obedient nonetheless. Lord, I pray that the truth and nothing but the truth would be so important to me. Lord, that I would seek with every single thing with inside me to get to the truth Lord that nothing else will satisfy me I just hear the words that maybe we need to hear tonight is that once you've tasted the kingdom of God nothing else will satisfy you Lord may we not be satisfied by anything else may our hearts be so open and so sensitive to your word Lord that whenever you speak we run Whenever you speak, we, our response should be obedience to you, Lord. Irrespective of if we know the full picture. Lord, just as Ananias had an experience with you, Lord, knowing that he's probably putting his life in danger, he was still obedient through faith. Lord, thank you that you are sending us, using us as instruments in your hands, Lord, to run and share the gospel to a broken, lost people out there. Lord, make our hearts so sensitive to whenever you speak, to in every opportunity that we have, that we would listen to your voice like sheep knowing the voice of the shepherd. We thank you for this in the name of Jesus.